Thank you for listening to Life Church Lithia. At Life Church, you belong before you believe. Tune in today for a life-changing message from our lead pastor, Gio Munoz. I'm so excited. Today we wrap up the series Church of Power. And we've been talking about the transformation that is happening in the church. And the word that I'm delivering today is a word that has been sitting in my heart for four or five months. You see, there's, this, there's been this transformation that has been happening in my heart where the Lord has changed even the way that I collaborate with him. It's why you have felt this shift in the church where, where there's something stirring. So people come in who have never been and they're like, they're, they're having visions of like water stirring, like the pool of Bethesda. And other people will come up to us and they say, well, I see like a wave and I see glory. It's because something in the spirit is happening. Now, I need you to understand and to know and be assured that there is a spirit realm, and that realm is more real than this realm. What's happening in the spirit was here way before any of this was here. And so there is this spirit realm, and there is this unleashing. There is this release that is happening from heaven. And that release is more real than this table that I can feel right here in front of me. You may not be able to see it. You may not be able to always feel it. But you have to know. You have to have faith and believe that it is real. It is that assurance. It is that security. It is that knowing that allows us to go into the streets like we did yesterday. When we gathered here together and we said, God, we have no agenda. Know what that looks like? You know, we, we're good at making plans and formulating. This is how we're going to win this. But, but we just got together and we just say, I got my little cooler and I got my bags. And I may look crazy. But I'm just crazy enough to believe that God will put somebody in my path on this day, on this time that needs Jesus. I believe that my God is big enough to put the right person with the right time to have the right encounter, not with me, but with him. And it is that assurance of his goodness, of his mercy, of his faithfulness that allows us to go out. And it is this release that is happening in our church. And so I've been preaching, and sometimes I say things that I'm feeling. It's not even in my sermon, but I'll say things like, God is releasing new wine, and we need to prepare the wineskin. And some people are like, man, that's really churchy. I'm just telling you what I hear. It's a fresh release of his presence. It's what it means, and the wineskin is our hearts. And I say things like, we're not building a church. We're building an army. And so I have people around me who are very logical, right? I'm thankful for them because I'm like, let's go and take over the world. And they're like, man, you said, you said we're building an army. What does that look like? And I'm like, oh. And so I began to ask the Lord, man, what, is this, what does this army look like? What does it look like for us to prepare our hearts to receive? You see, there have been times where revival, where an awakening has happened and it has fallen. Read about it. The Welsh revival in Brownsville all throughout history where God has released his presence, but it was only for a season. And then it lifted. And you begin to ask yourself, well, why is that? What happened? It's not because God doesn't want to continually pour out his presence. I believe it is because God is a good steward. And he gives to those who steward well what they have been given. That they appropriate and that they use it well. And so what I'm going to be speaking to you today is, is the cornerstone of what it looks like for us to raise up an army. 
What does that army look like? What is that new wineskin? And so I want to read to you a scripture, and then I want to unpack what is around that scripture. And this is just the season of life that I'm in right now. Is that okay? Can I share that with you? So I want you to turn to Ezekiel 44. Ezekiel 44. I'm going to hit you with some Old Testament for a little bit, and you're going to be okay. <laughs> if you've been here for any period of time, you've heard me talk about ministering to the Lord. How many of you heard me talk about that? We've talked about ministering to the Lord and being a people that we come to his presence to minister to him. Now, in the book of Exodus, Numbers, all, you see that God had separated the people, and they had been divided into 12 tribes. The 12 tribes had different assignments. They were all God's people. Are we, are we on the same page? They're all God's people, but all the people had different assignments. And one of, the, one of the tribes of people were called the tribe of Levi. Say Levi. Levi. Levi was a unique tribe because this was a tribe that Moses, that God had told Moses, I want you to tell them that they will be set apart. They will be consecrated for my purpose. And so all of the other people that were in the different tribes, they all had different unique gifts. And you would read, a, you could read about it in the first four or five books in the Bible that there were different ones that received different things for the jobs that they had been given. But there was something different about the Levites because their inheritance, when you read the word is, their inheritance was literally God. Their inheritance was not material things. It was not houses. It was not calves. It was not livestock. And all of those things were good. They were great. They had significance in that time. But for those people in that day, the group of the Levites, the ones who would their job was to literally minister to the Lord. Their inheritance was God. It was the best inheritance that you could possibly ever have. And so their job was to sit in the tabernacle, which was, which was a place where the presence of God, the Shekinah glory, the weighty presence of God, it literally sat. The same Shekinah glory that you feel sitting in this place. Why sometimes you're sitting in your chair and you feel your heart race or you're in worship, and sometimes you feel like weeping. It's not because anybody's manipulating you. It's not emotionalism. It's that when the presence of God comes, it demands a response. Yes. Yes. Something begins to happen. It begins to break down the hardness of the heart. Are you alive? Some of you are like, oh, man. <laughs> I'm just explaining to you what's happening. Because, listen, Ten years ago, when I first walked into a church, I was sitting in church, and I would feel these things, and I would begin to weep and cry and feel all these things, and I started to think, I am super emotionally unstable right now. I need to see a doctor. And as I began to walk with the Lord, I realized that the Lord was doing something in my heart. And it doesn't change. The closer I get to Jesus, the less I can take with me. It's not legalism. It's, it's not him asking me because he's cruel or he's a dictator. It's showing me who I always wanted to be. It's everything I never knew I wanted. <laughs> it's like there are these things in my life that I thought I needed and I thought I wanted and I thought meant so much. And the closer I get to Jesus, I'm so much more willing to let them go because I realize they just don't bring life. And so Ezekiel 44, there's a scripture. And in this scripture, he's talking about the Levites, this same, this same group of people. And he's describing to them some of their plans. And there's two groups, and I want to distinguish them. But we're going to start in Ezekiel 44, 
And we're going to start in verse 16. Verse 16 says this. And they, they speaking of the Levites, shall enter my sanctuary. Say sanctuary. They, meaning the Levites, shall enter my sanctuary. Now this word sanctuary, you understand that this was a prophetic book and there's lots of prophetic implications and they can be, you can be taken for now or literal. And this aspect, what Ezekiel is talking about, is a literal tabernacle. It is, if you begin to study this, which I have, it's literally this, this it's a sanctuary where, where the presence of God, where God dwells right now. Some people believe it is in the third heaven. Some people are saying that it's maybe when the millennial reign comes. The thing that is important here is that you understand that it is his sanctuary. Are we aware? Are we good on that? It is God's sanctuary, and he's dwelling in it. And then it says this, and they shall come near to my table. How many of you know the Lord has a table? He does. David says this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I love it. It's, it's, it's like every single person that hates Every single person that doubts, God sets a table before them, and they have to watch his goodness and his mercy. They can hate, but they can't touch. They can look, but they can't do anything. And so God has a table, and he has prepared this table for you. And everything that you need, I want you to hear this, man. Everything that you need is found at this table. Everything that you're hoping for, everything that you're wishing for, all the things that you think would satisfy are found at this table. And so if there's one word that I would say sums up the gospel beyond love, because we know love is the principal thing. You're sitting here today because you are loved by a loving God who gave everything for you. But beyond the word love, the word that I would say sums up the gospel beautifully is the word come, 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 come to my table, come to my presence. If there's this invitation from the Lord for us to come into this place where his presence transforms us, I'm not just talking about Sunday mornings. I'm talking about this lifestyle where we commune with the Lord. Church was never God's original plan. I know that's weird for you to hear from a pastor, but if he wanted church to be the original thing, he would have planted one in the Garden of Eden. God's original plan for you and for me is for us to walk in the cool of the day, hand in hand with him. What does that mean? That looks like relationship. That means that, means that I know him and he knows me. Intimacy. Where I open up the innermost parts of who I am, even if it hurts, even if I think it's ugly, even if it looks like depression, even if it looks like anxiety. I open myself up and I let him see everything that I am and I come to his table. And what happens when you come to his table? It says this. They shall enter my sanctuary. They shall come near to my table. To what? To minister to me. Who gets ministered to when you come to the table? The purpose of the coming to the table, the purpose of your heart being yoked, being brought together with the heart of God, is for you to minister to him. 
I need you to see this. Because a lot of times when we come to the table, we preach, hey, I came to the table and look at what I got. Or we talk about this great exchange. I gave you beauty for ashes, joy for mourning. All of that is real. All of that is true. But I need you to see, I need you to know that when you come to this table, he is moved. He is stirred. (laughs) It provokes him. That when you come to the table of the Lord, it makes his heart glad. It's changing the perception of what we think God looks like. Because for years and years and years, we have have portrayed, we've painted this image of God as this angry, angry person. And maybe if I crawl to him on my knees with my head down and I talk about how terrible and how bad I really am, then he'll accept me. But that's not the gospel. The gospel says I had paid the price for you to come boldly into my throne room where my table is set, where you can be fed. Here's the truth, man. You can go lots of places for nourishment. In this day and age, you can turn on a podcast. You can go on YouTube and listen to 50,000 sermons. You can put on worship music and you can get caught up in all of it. But the truth is there's no substitute there's, there's, no, there's nothing else that can compare to when you come to this table and you say, Lord, I'm here for you. It's what I said in the beginning of this fast. We're not fasting for something to happen. We're fasting for more of him. I'm just interested in what it looks like for a group of people to gather together and to say, Lord, today I step into this sanctuary. I come to your table to bless you. I know I'm going to receive I know I'm going to be changed because it's impossible for you to step in this place and stay the same. It's impossible for you to come at this table and sit with the Lord and see him and not leave with your heart transformed. But you've got to be willing to give up. You've got to be willing to let go of all the hurt. Some people disqualify themselves from this table because they look at their brokenness. And so we talk about coming to the table of the Lord. Maybe that happens at your house. Maybe it happens in your bedroom. Maybe it's in a car ride. And you need to know and you need to hear that the moment you are most broken is the moment you are most qualified or most welcomed into this table. It's the moment where the Lord says, come to me and watch what I do. It's like my little little son Judah, man. I give him Play-Doh and he has this crazy imagination. He rolls, it, he rolls it like into a little line and he calls it pizza. I'm like, bro, have you had pizza? It doesn't look like that. That's like a breadstick. But you don't want to crush his imagination because the imagination is beautiful. And it's, it's, it's the same kind of relationship with the Lord where you give him your life and it begins to create and it begins to do. And you can't see it, but he can see it. You don't understand it, but he knows And there's this invitation from the Lord to enter into his sanctuary, to come to his table and realize that when you come, he is stirred. And when he is stirred, atmospheres begin to change. Things begin to happen when God takes lordship. It's what I keep hearing today. I'm going to begin to take lordship of meetings. That means he's going to sit at the head of the table. Lots of churches, lots of places who say we're here to gather to worship, but you got to ask yourself what is being worshipped. 
When you worship the presence of God, when you exalt him and when you come in with no agenda except to bless his name, something begins to happen where his presence is released and it is felt. As I was studying for this message this week, I read, I read, I read this word and I've been wrestling with this word. I've been wanting to preach and the Lord says, not yet. And then this week, I felt the Lord say, it's time. And I was like, Lord, I want to be sure. And I, and I read this message that was on Facebook. And this prophet was writing and he says, I was having a dream and in the dream there was a tsunami. He said, but I saw the tsunami before it happened. And he says, if you, if you know what happens with a tsunami, when it comes, the waters, they recede back in. It's this crazy thing. The waters, they push back. It's, it's, as, if, it's as if there's a warning signal that something is coming. And when the waters are pushed back, everything that was once hidden under the water is now exposed. And you have access and you can see things that were not previously available. And then the tsunami comes and it recovers, but before the tsunami hits, there is an uncovering of things that were once hidden. There is a shifting, there's an exchange. Things don't look like they used to look. And so we're sifting and we're looking through and we're asking the question as a church, what does it look like to minister to the Lord? To come to him. Yesterday I was walking through Tampa and it's really easy when you're walking the streets with food to get caught up and I got to find the person. But time and time again yesterday, the Lord would say, why don't you just worship me on these streets? Why don't you just walk these streets and begin to declare my goodness? Where other people come and all they see is brokenness and they see lack and they see this and all the issues of the world. What if there was a group of people, a company of people that would walk the streets and simply declare, God, you are good. Yeah. I promise you it would begin to change things. And so we walked around for a while. And, and we were on assignment downtown Tampa. And the truth is, we didn't, we didn't run into a lot of people in the beginning. Stephen was with us, and we were looking, and I was like, what's going on? What's going on? I mean, one, we ran into like four or five people. And I, we were walking this long bridge, and I saw this water. And this when the Lord challenged me. Hey, man, why don't you just separate yourself for a moment and begin to worship? Why don't you just begin to declare over this body of water and over this area? Why don't you begin to declare and release something? And that's what I began to do. Just walk in the streets praying in tongues because praying in tongues changes things. It's not something of the past. It's for now. When you don't know what to pray, you pray in tongues and he prays through you. And so I'm walking and then we shift, right? And we're going to another direction. And the moment, the moment I begin to shift my attention from what I can do to his goodness, we begin to run across people. <laughs> we found people under a tree. Mitch. And he had just got hit by a car. All banged up, stitches on his eye, his hand was swelled. And we just began to listen. You understand? When you say there's no agenda, I just want to sit with him. I want to know him. Tell me about your life, man. What's going on? Stephen asked him the question, hey, man, you got hit by a car yesterday, man. Did that make you think about something? Did, maybe, maybe, maybe you thought, man, there must be a higher purpose for my life because somebody intentionally tried to hit him. He goes, yeah, man. Yeah, that, that could be true. We dialogued with them a little bit more. Then I said, you know what, man? 
I believe God has a plan for your life, bro. And I'm not here to preach to you. I'm not even here on behalf of a church. I'm not going to hand you no card, bro. I just want you to know that God loves you, and I'm going to pray for you, man. And when we pray, things happen. Is this not what I said? And I know your wrist hurt right now, but I'm going to pray, and God's going to show you that he's here. So we laid hands on him, and we blessed him. I didn't talk to him about his sin. I wasn't, I wasn't impressed by his alcohol or his cigarettes. Nothing needed to be said. Because the gospel sees beyond that. We go and we find inside of people what they cannot see in themselves. We blessed them, and I said, in the name of Jesus, we began to pray over his wrists. We got done praying. I said, hey, man, how's your wrist? He goes, it doesn't hurt. Am I lying, bro? It doesn't hurt anymore, man. It feels a little stiff, but all the pain's gone. I said, yeah, bro, that's because God loves you. Because God loves you, he sent me here in this moment at this time to show you that you are seen and you are loved and you are not forgotten. And I said, and we'll be back, bro. I know a lot of people say that, but we'll be back. We leave that area, and I was like, thank you, Lord. We walk around the corner. There's a guy beelining. Am I lying? Marco. Hey, bro, what you doing? Do you need anything? Can we hand you some products? What do you need? I said, can I pray with you? He said, yes, you can, man. I'm an addict. He went off. I'm an addict. Can I pray for you? Yeah, man, I need to stop three years of this, this, and this. Just open book. And we begin to have God experience, but I need you to see how it happened. It didn't happen because I strived. It didn't happen because I loosed or I released. And I said, we shall. The moment I turned my attention from my difficulties to him, God began to send people our way. It's a new way of doing ministry. Some of you are so frustrated in the season of life you're in, and we try to make things work, and we try to open doors. But what if the door the Lord has opened for you right now looks like Mary of Bethany with you sitting at his feet? Are you willing to go into a place where you may not be seen? <laughs> you may not be celebrated? It may not be about, man, look how awesome. Listen, we do that here. We celebrate people to the point it makes them uncomfortable. <laughs> because we believe in honoring the body. But there's something to be said about a company of people that says, I only want one person to see me. <laughs> I'll hide myself. I'll get into this place where you can use me and I'll focus my attention on you. I'll come into your sanctuary, I will sit at your table, and I will minister to you because I know in this place, lives are changed. You want to be transformed? Listen, the truth is, God hasn't sent your people, he hasn't sent people your way because you haven't seen him. And if you haven't seen him, you have nothing to give. Come on. One clap, good. <laughs> Somebody got it. You have, you have nothing to give. It's not condemnation. It's not guilt. It's just God being a good steward. He's tired of sending people to other people for them to portray what they read in a book. So when the Lord began to speak to me about the subject of ministering to the Lord, I like to study. I read lots of books. So I began to research. Oh, I, I want to find some books on people who have written something about ministering to the Lord. There's one book written in 1985. One book. How is it possible? Listen, you want to read a book on building a big church? By the hundreds. You want to read a book on building discipleship program? By the thousands. How do I win people? How do I do business better? How do I make more money? By the hundreds. How is it possible that when it comes to the area of us being a people who pick up the call of the Levites, there's one book? 
Because, it, because we gauge success, I want you to hear this, man. We gauge success off of things that are seen. So I get people who cross paths with me and they ask me, how's your church going? What they're asking me is, how many people do you have? It makes me sick. So I never really tell them how many we have. I'll say, like, we have 40 people. We could have double that, but it's not important to me. That's not how we gauge success. Have your tithes gone up? How's your discipleship programs going, bro? Are you moving people like cattle? We gauge success by people encountering the presence of God. Transformation happens when your spirit, oh, my hand's shaking. <laughs> when your spirit collides with his spirit and you two become one. One spirit, one flesh, one God. When you and him become one person and you begin to hurt for what he hurts for and you begin to cry for what he cries for, God is not a robot. He is moved. He's not mad. He's not mad. He is broken because his children are dying and there is a real hell. And so we sit in churches weeks and weeks and hours and hours strategizing about how to live a better life and people are dying and going to hell. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm, I'm painting reality for you. Well, I don't know how to win them. Well, well listen, we're not, we're not human doings. We're human beings. And if we continue to measure success and we continue to do church around what we can do, we strategize. This is how we will win them. <laughs> Let's pray for five seconds before so maybe God will bless it and then we'll talk two hours. And so we got together with our leaders of the church. Our first leadership meeting, the, the first one we ever had, and we, I didn't say one word. I said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to turn on worship music, and we're just going to worship for two hours. And some people were like, well, where's the strategy? I thought we were going to get together, and you were going to tell us how we're going to win the world. I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to show you. I'm trying to show you that when you get full of him, there is an overflow that comes out of you. And it, and it goes past ministry. Listen, we mobilize people. Some of you are joining, and we're going to mobilize people. But more than that, we're going to create a house where true worship, it flows out of this place. Where there's no, there's no way where we tell you how to worship. There's no expression. There's no expectation except for you to come and to sit at his table. So what do we do? Can I read to you another scripture? Because you are, you are, how many of you would say I'm called to ministry? Half the congregation. That's good, but the reality, here's the truth. Guys, can I throw some truth at you? The truth is, the moment you stepped into church and you said yes to Jesus, according to the Bible, you are called a priest. That's according to the scripture. That's the same thing that the Levites were called. When God commissioned them to take care of the tabernacle where the presence dwelt, some were on the inside, some were on the outside, but they were all called priests. Yes. And according to 1 Peter 2.9, which should be on the screen, it says this. Peter's talking about people who are involved in the world and are consumed with problems and issues. And then he changes the game and he says this. But you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. Say, I'm chosen. chosen. Say it like you mean it. I'm chosen. But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation. That is you. He's not talking about pastors, apostles, and prophets. He's talking about the people who say yes to him. 
You are God's very own possession. How many of you know that God is good with his possessions? He takes care of them. That's why if you're walking through difficulties, through situations, you've got to know if God is for me, who can be against me? That's, that's a real thing, bro. If God is for me, what depression, what anxiety, what lack, what report, what cancer, what diabetes? If God is for me, what, who can be against me? I know I'm chosen. And as a result, watch this. Because he has chosen you and because he has created a table, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. How many of you know that's good news? When you come to his table and when you see him and when you say yes to him, you have now been commissioned. You have now been chosen to express his goodness and to show people who he really is. It's why yesterday we, we didn't hand out one church card. The life church was not even mentioned. Because at that moment, it wasn't about showing the goodness of our church. It was about us colliding and showing this is what God looks like. Are you alive? You are called, the result, you can show people goodness for. He called you out of the darkness. And where are you planted? In his wonderful light. This is where he has planted you. If you find yourself consumed with darkness, it's a lie. According to the word, he has planted you in his wonderful light. So the question becomes, if I'm not called to do and do and do, what are we called to do? It's the question I get all the time. What am I called to do, Gio? What is it in my life that you, you have called me and I don't know, I, I, I'm frustrated? Here's a good scripture for you where you can start. Psalms 145.3. This is David, the giant killer. This is the man that he took up a lot of the Old Testament. It's a, what the Bible describes as a, as a man after the very heart of God. Now, we talk about the giant killing, but we got to know this is the same guy who committed adultery. This is the same guy who had lots of issues. You read through some of this book and you think this guy might be schizophrenic. All kinds of stuff. Yet the Bible still calls him a man after the heart of God. And he writes this, Psalms 145 verse 3. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Another translation says it is inexhaustible. So how about as a church we start here? That we give ourselves, that we choose to give ourselves to the calling of searching the unsearchable and trying to exhaust the inexhaustible. That I would give myself to fully knowing him. That I would understand that if I were to really, according to the gospel, seek first the kingdom of God, then everything, say everything. Everything. That means everything. In the Greek, it means all the things. Everything that you need. Not that you want. Hello? Everything that you need will be added onto you. We would become a church that would minister unto the Lord. Not just on Wednesday nights, on Sunday mornings, but that we would give ourselves in our car, in our jobs. How many of you know the Bible says everything that you do, you need to do it unto the Lord. 
That can look like your job at Publix. That can look like your job on the street. That could look like you driving your truck. Everything that I do, if I do it with the right heart, it is unto the Lord. And so in, in Ezekiel 44, there are two prophets. There are two groups of Levites. The first group are the ones that the Lord has called to the inner place. We talked about the tabernacle. It was a big tent. And on the inside where the presence of God dwelt, this was the commissioning. They shall come into my sanctuary and sit at my table, which is found in the inner place. But there was another group of people that were there. And, and if, if you read around, if you read a little bit before this commission, it says this. I just want to make the distinction so you can see. This is the second group. And they shall be ministers in my sanctuary. Yes, it's up there. Having oversight at the gates of the house and ministering in the house. They shall slaughter burnt offerings and they shall sacrifice for the people. And they shall stand before them to minister to them. So in verse 11, which is obviously before verse 16, there is a calling and a commissioning of a group of Levites, but they're not the ones that are called to minister at his table. The main purpose of these people was to take care of the gate, which was the entering and the going out of the people. And they would stand on the outsides, and in this time, there was no atonement. The way that they would atone for sins or make themselves right with God is they would have to slaughter an animal and put it upon the altar for their sins to be forgiven. I'm teaching a little bit. If they did not atone for their sins through sacrifice, they were not to be made right with God. And it was the job of the Levites to perform the sacrifice. So understand this. These guys were called to the tabernacle. They were called to the place, to the house of God. But their dealings were not with the Lord. They were with the people. I'm going to continue reading. Because they ministered to them before their idols and became a stumbling block of iniquity, to the house of Israel, therefore I have sworn against them, declares the Lord. They shall bear the punishment for their iniquities. They shall not come near me to serve me as a priest to me. Nor shall they come near to my holy things, to the things that are most holy. But they will bear their shame and their abominations that they have committed. I will appoint them to keep charge of the house, of all of its service, and all of that should be done in it. I want you to understand something now. Now, we don't live under game, shilt, game, shame, guilt, and condemnation. We don't live under that. Christ, Christ has paid for that. But there's still a distinction. There were some people who were called to minister in the innermost place where the presence of God dwells that are called to sit in his table. This is the mandate for all the people who have said, yes, if you're sitting in this church, this is what you are called to do. Before reaching people, before giving yourself as a pastor, or whatever you want to call it, you are called to sit face to face with him. Now, if you choose, like some of them did, the second group of people were not allowed to enter in to minister to him. Why? Because they chose to not confront the idols of the people. They chose to... They chose to compromise what they knew was right and deal more with the... <laughs> uh, they were more worried about the feelings of the people than the feelings of God. And because they did not, because they would not confront the idols of their day. Look, listen, we have idols today. What is an idol? An idol is anything that has been exalted above the name Jesus. 
Anything that, that, that occupies your attention, anything that, that occupies your headspace, it has become an idol. It can be a TV, it could be a console, it can be a job, it could be a, it could be a lot of things. And because these people chose to not confront the idols of their day, they were not allowed into the innermost place. God said, if you want to be consumed with that, be consumed with it. They were still in the house. They knew all the right songs. They knew the house. But they did not know the Lord of the house. They could not come to him. If you want to minister to the Lord, it looks like going beyond what is on the inside in your idols. And you saying, I choose to forsake that. You see, there's a reformation happening. What is a reformation? It is a restructuring. We talk a lot about revival. God, bring revival. Why are you crying for revival? To revive something would imply that something is dead. You are not dead. According to the Bible, you have been made alive in Christ. We don't need another revival. We need a reformation, an awakening where you would realize what is inside of you. Where you would realize how powerful you really are. Where you would realize that everything you need, I say it every week, is inside of you. Regardless of what you feel, regardless of what people tell you. And so we've been in services, man. Where we've said, God, we just come in. And we give you full reign. I'll never forget, I'll end with this, a service that we had. I can't even tell you where it is. I don't even remember, but we all got together. The pastors who were coming next weekend were there with us. They were ministering. And we used to do these conferences called Women Warriors of God. How many of you know when you get a bunch of women together, it gets crazy? Yeah. <laughs> it just gets crazy. And so we started doing these conferences, and I would speak, and my wife would speak, and and the pastors would speak. And it got to the point where we would start to do worship. And as we were worshiping, everywhere we would go, people would begin to manifest. And so we would have to tell the people, hey, listen, man, unless you want, like, throw up on your carpet, you should have some trash cans ready. Now, you think this is crazy, but listen. When the presence of God, the Shekinah, comes, demons can't stay. They cannot dwell. The presence of light and darkness cannot cohabitate. We pray every single week. The moment any demon, any person carrying something walks through that door, it has to go. It has to go. And so we've been worshiping in services and things have begun to happen because the presence of God is here. And where the presence of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is liberty. And so we got in the service and we began to worship. And the presence of God, oh. It just came. It was so powerful. I didn't know what to do but get on my face. And they're singing the song. They're singing this song. Angels stand around your throne, around your throne, and they sing. And it says, we cry holy. And they begin to sing this song. And as they sing it, these women begin screaming. Some begin weeping, and something begins to happen. And I'm on the front of the stage on the right side, and I'm laid on my face, and I just hear I just hear these voices singing, man, in unison. And I think to myself, I know there's no way that these women sing this pretty, this kind of harmony. <laughs> I just know, I, I've been to enough to know that they just don't sing that great. 
And I'm hearing, man, it was just my father-in-law on a piano like Cove. And I began to hear all these instruments playing, man. And I'm freaked. I'm like, I'm worshiping the Lord, but I know something is happening. And all the people are saying, holy, 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 because something happens when you see him. People are getting free. People are weeping. People are laughing. It's a full expression of the kingdom. And then I look up. And I want to see what's going around because I'm nosy. And I like to see God when he moves. And I look up and I'm hearing the music and I'm hearing the singing. And as I look up to the stage, I look at my pastor and he has his hands spread. He was the only person on an instrument, yet there was music playing. And people began to get free. There was no preaching. It's what happens when God takes lordship. It's what we're moving into as a church. It's what we're moving into as a body. This isn't just for life, church. I believe this is what's happening in churches all around the world. We just get to be a part of this move where we position ourselves, we reposition our hearts to receive whatever it is he's pouring out. That when sickness, when shame, when guilt, when poverty, when depression, when anxiety, whatever comes our way, we would know that what is inside of us is enough to conquer the darkness. We were in Africa. Got to share this. I just have to. We were in Africa, and we were there, and we had been there for months. Some of you have heard this story, but I just feel the Lord tell me I need to share. There was this kid in one of the villages. Every weekend, we would go out to villages. Some of the villages had never seen white people. Some of them had never heard the gospel. These are remote villages. We would drive hours and hours and hours on very uncomfortable buses to go and we would take food with us and we would show the Jesus film and we would do something very simple. We would show the Jesus film using the cheesy one, like the real cheesy one. That's what we would show. And it was, we would show it and it was a representation and then at the end we would preach, he would preach the gospel, Heidi Baker for 15 minutes. And after those 15 minutes, they would say, anybody who's blind or who can't hear or with sickness, come forward. And when I tell you that 90 to 100% of the times they got healed and healing broke out, it was the norm. And so that night we ministered and bunches of healings happening and word got out. Somebody traveled from the furthest part of the village and said, hey, there's a dead kid. He's been dead for eight, nine, we don't even know how long. And so they traveled to where he was. When they arrived at the place where the kid was dead, the mother had been holding them. It's customary there for, the, for people to sit with their kids. And for days, they would mourn. Like the community stops and gathers together, and they all mourn for the lost together. And so here come a cr bunch of crazy people. Look like hippies. We've been living in Africa for months. And they walk into this building where they're mourning. They had accepted the loss of the child. And they walk into this room, and they're not screaming. They're not commanding. They simply come into the room, and they begin to worship the Lord. And they begin to proclaim his goodness. You say, how? There's a dead kid in the room because he's bigger than that dead kid. Because in order for that impossibility to become a possibility, I have to fix my eyes on him until he becomes bigger than that problem. They begin to worship the Lord. And the mom's holding her kid, and he is stiff, head this way, legs this way, 
when a body is dead, it becomes stiff. A blood flow stops, and he has stiffened to her body. And there they are. There's no, again, again, there's no crazy shouting. God, we worship you. God, we exalt you. We thank you that you are bigger than, it's just praise and worship. And as they begin to worship and as they begin to praise, something begins to happen. The atmosphere changes from an atmosphere of mourning to an atmosphere of belief. It's the same thing that can happen to any situation you're going through. When you fix your eyes on him, the atmosphere changes and it becomes prime for breakthrough. They begin to worship and as they begin to worship, a body that was once cold begins to become warm. We have the testimony. I can share it online. The kid sharing and the mom sharing. The body begins to unstiffen and, and muscle by muscle, blood flow begins to go once again into the thing that was once dead. There was no proclamation of power. There was no screaming and shouting and commanding. It was simply a group of people that had fixed their eyes on him. And in a situation where a mother had lost their eight-year-old kid, they walked in and because of their awareness of his goodness, because of their ability to minister to the Lord, she got her son back. It's a prophetic picture of what God's doing in the church. We don't need more screaming and more shouting. We need people who would come in every Sunday and said, I'm coming into you to give you an offering. I'm coming into you to pour out my heart. And I know people like to look at the church and call it dead. And they mourn and they talk negativity. But I believe there's going to be a group of people that are going to rise up. And their offering and their praise and their worship and their proclamation about his goodness will once breathe life again into what was once dead. People told me, you can't come to this area and do church. All there is in that area is small churches, and it'll never grow. And I just love it because God is a God who breathes life into dead things. He is a God that breathes life. And the moment people present you with an impossibility, it's the moment he breathes his wind to show you how big he really is. This is the calling, the mandate of Life Church. That as the future comes, we will gather together here, not just Sundays, but Tuesdays or Thursdays or Saturdays. And we will have people with instruments and we will simply come to bless him. There will be no agenda. There will be no schedule. We will just come and say, God, in this moment, I'm going to give you an offering. The more broken, the greater the offering. Oh, my gosh. The more broken, the greater the offering. And so here's what I'm going to do today as we end. I'm going to give you an opportunity to stand to your feet.